The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. We come therefore to thee at thy bidding, O Lord, through the merit and sacrifice of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, making thee our God and Father once again, as thou hast called upon us as thy people, inviting us so to do. And with all that is within us, we would bless thy triune name and seek to serve thee more worthily here upon the earth until Jesus comes and with him the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell. We pray that his gospel might be extended to the ends of the earth, that its truth and power may be preserved in churches and seminaries throughout this land and round the world, and thou wilt preserve thy people, embolden them as they bear testimony to Jesus Christ, and resist and overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the voice of their testimony. Draw near to us again this morning. Grant us thy presence and blessing. Pardon our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. You be seated, please. In connection with the second sign of the cross, recorded in Matthew 27, 51, in the words, and the earth shook. I want to read from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13 and concluding with the 20th verse. Let us hear the word of God. God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. May God bless to us his word. Three 
remarkable incidents ensued. The moment the Lord Jesus Christ bowed his head and resigned his spirit to his heavenly father. First we've looked at, namely, the veil of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. Two immediately follow on that. The earth shook and the graves were opened. It's only Matthew and Mark uh, who record these signs. And it's only Matthew who records the second and third of them. And he connects all three, however, together with the word behold, calling upon those he was addressing and the church in every time and place to take particular note of these events that followed upon the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That term, behold, inexplicably and unforgivably omitted by the NIV, draws attention usually to a divine act. Whether miraculous or just, and I use the word advisedly, just providential. And these three events are recorded all in the passive voice. Not one of them was produced by any inherent efficacy within itself. It was God who brought them all about. Quite clearly, the resurrection, the third sign, must have been miraculous. And the first two. But the second is no less divine, even though we may think of it in naturalistic terms. The shaking of the earth is as divine an activity as the rending of the veil and the opening of the tombs. Jerusalem was in a location that was prone to earthquake. Josephus, the Jewish historian, records that one took place in 33 AD. And in the Jewish Talmud, there's a record that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, as a result of the Roman invasion, another occurred. And it had devastating effects on the temple itself, so that the fr front of it leaned away from the rest of the building. But of course, neither Josephus nor the Talmud records that there was a resurrection of sorts, we may say, along with that earthquake, and that it was the inner veil, not the outer one, that was torn from top to bottom. So we have some independent attestation, anyway, of the text that we would believe to be historical, even if there were none. Earthquakes still occur, don't they? We know a lot more about them than Matthew did or many of his successors. We know that there are regions of the world that are particular prone, particularly prone to them. We can say, therefore, that there are locations where, there are, where they are likely to occur. We have ways of measuring them. There are data processing centers 
to distribute information concerning them on a global scale. We also know why they occur. Geology provides us with some information on that point. And we've been hearing for a little while that there's a big one coming in California. But when and where exactly only, can we call it a science, only hindsight will inform us. But seeing that we now know much more than forebears did, we feel much more confident that we can cope. And somehow we can survive. And so we are no longer prone to think that the world is coming to an end when the ground shakes under our feet. I remember some children who were terrified, not mine, I hasten to add, terrified at thunder and lightning. And their mother took an old, a cutlery drawer out of a kitchen cabinet in which the knives and forks were kept and shook it and proceeded to tell them that just as she was shaking this drawer and making this noise, so God, the one who sent his son, was shaking the world in order to remind the world that he existed and that he was to be noticed, listened to, worshipped, regarded. A few days later, another terrifying storm broke and the older brother said to the sister, don't worry, it's those knives and forks again. <laughs> and we can have that same sort of attitude. It's just an earthquake. But you know, the big one will come. It will come. It's drawing nearer. We can say that in type or in measure, it did come. It came on Calvary's hill when the earth shook on account of the death of the mediator, a portent of his return in power and great glory, as we've sung from Psalm 50, when the heavens and the earth will be shaken. And the world, to its uttermost extent, will be cloud and smoke and fire and shaking, just as Sinai was. Here in Matthew 27, what we have is Matthew saying, by means of these incidents, something that all the seismologists and scientists don't yet know the day of the Lord is bound up with the death of Christ. That's what he's saying. Not merely the rent veil, a new religion. There's going to be a new universe. And there's going to be a new humanity raised from the dead to inhabit it. And it's all traceable to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
These events speak of judgment on the one hand, salvation on the other, which are the twin themes, of course, of the day of the Lord whenever that is referred to in the Old Testament. And if you think of judgment for a moment, don't we have to say that earthquakes are a part or the result of the fall? Evidence that God is displeased with the way in which he has been rebelled against and all that he made good by his word is now affected with that evil of sin and its effects, more its effects than the evil, the effects of the evil of sin. So that the day that Adam fell, the earth groaned. It was, the Apostle Paul tells us, made subject to decay. Penal death. Death is a penal evil. Comes into the word only as a result of sin. And that good and perfect universe it was expressive of nothing but the goodness, wisdom, and power of God. Now becomes a means by which displeasure, anger on the account of sin is justly displayed. The world is broken. We can't fix it. Earthquakes remind us of it. And if that happened when Adam fell, what happened when the Son of God died. It creaked and groaned more loudly. The earth shook when the Son of God was crucified. But not only judgment, salvation too. Or Shall we call it restoration? Or shall we call it reconstruction? Or shall we call it renewal? I'm using all these terms deliberately. They should mean something to you. No, Paul calls it reconciliation. That's his word. In Colossians chapter 1. What is going to happen even to this universe in which now the ravages of sin are to be seen is that they're going to be wiped away, but they're not going to be wiped away by being transformed, as transformationists would teach. They're going to be wiped away, not even by the word of the creator, but by the work of the redeemer. Isn't that what he says in Colossians chapter 1? Reconcile all things, heaven, earth, and under the earth having made peace through the blood of his cross. My friends, there's no new heaven, no new earth without Calvary. It cannot be brought about by any kind of human means, activity, apologetic activity, social renewal, restoration, theonomy, nothing. Only the blood of Jesus the atoning work of the mediator. Why? 
Well, because it is only that that deals with the cause of all the disruption. Personal, social, physical, material. It's sin that's caused the ruin. There's no restoration unless sin is dealt with. And where else is sin dealt with? But at the cross. Nowhere else. Of course, it's only one who could create all things out of nothing who can reconcile them. And if he had not been able to do the former, he would not have been able to do the latter. But he cannot do the latter without dealing with sin. That's why the death of Christ is crucial. And that's why in the new heavens and the new earth, the Lamb will be all the glory. Let us pray. Receive our thanks, O Lord our God, for the amazing work that thou hast done, planned and performed, in and through the death of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that though as yet its full results have not been displayed, that one day they will be. And we thank thee, we believe it. We pray then that thou wilt help us to live day by day looking for and hastening towards the coming of the day of God. And grant us peace and joy through trusting in Jesus, even with respect to the disintegration of this present world and its perfect renewal through his power. Receive our thanks, and may thy name be glorified. For Jesus' sake, amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.